So welcome to this edition of Human Wisdom Live. I'm Manoj Krishna, your host and the founder of the Human Wisdom Project. And today we're going to be exploring a subject that's topical um, for all of us, which is, can wisdom in any way prevent war? And what could we do together? My guest today is Dr. Tim Merrick, who is a life coach and a human wisdom coach from the United States. So Tim, welcome. Thanks, Manoj. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm always happy to have a conversation with you. And I have to admit, this conversation is a little uncomfortable for me. Now, I, I think discomfort is actually a, a very productive thing in our lives. It can open the door to, to see new possibilities. But I, I have to say, um, I think some of the discomfort for me is about my discomfort with war and with the fact that it's happening now and, and the tragedy of, of it all. Yes. So we, to give a rough plan of action, we're going to speak for about 30 minutes, me and Tim, and explore a few questions, but primarily around what you and I can do. It's all very well to sit and have an opinion on what other people can do. <laughs> but uh, the challenge is, what can I do? What can you and I, ordinary human beings, do? Um, and what we're going to be exploring at its core is that the same reasons for war are actually present in each of us. And if we can identify and explore them and, and we can become beacons of light in the world. Um, and we only need a few of us really to make a difference. So Tim, let's start by asking, you know, the ground for all war is, it's the conflict in Ukraine, for example, hasn't erupted overnight. The ground for it has been laid for years and decades before. Isn't that sort of always the case? Um... And I like how you said before it's about bringing this down to a personal level. If I think about the dis the arguments or the the difficulties in relationships that I have, do you, they they don't usually start uh, automatically a one one time deal, right? It's usually something that builds. I'm thinking. Um, well, this morning I was thinking about how. How, how married couples do this, right? You know, uh, she says something to me that irks me, but it's not big enough. I'm not gonna say anything. It's like, eh, whatever, you know, and then it stays with me. And then I respond in a, in a certain way that maybe I'm aloof and then she feels that. She's like, whoa, what's that about, right? And this, and it just, you have a background ambience yes. of this discord and distrust perhaps if it gets far enough. I think that we all do this. I think that we all harbor uh, regrets, resentments, uh, dissatisfactions that we don't necessarily clean up. It's one of the things that uh, show up in, in coaching all the time is how do we, how do we get complete and start to, to live uh, with what is? Yes. And historically, if you look at even the Second World War, the seeds of that were laid after the First World War, you know, when we had the Versailles Conference and the Germans really felt uh, humiliated and that gave rise to Hitler and you know all the things that followed uh, and the same of course with the war in Russia and Ukraine now historically the groundwork for that you could argue was laid after the collapse of the Soviet Union and the injustice and the humi humiliation people felt at that time 
But let's yeah. pause also to acknowledge the suffering that everyone who's caught up in war is uh, feels, and the tragedy is unimaginable, isn't it? First of all, absolutely. I, I don't think we can step over that. But let me back up just a second. You talk about how being able to see it from a, a wider lens, right? Ah, I get it. This has been going on for a long time. You know, Ukraine was on that side of the curtain, and now America has been trying to, and the West has trying to been pulling it to this side of the curtain. All that we can, we start to get a macro vision of this thing. But when we're talking about the suffering, you you can't offer that global perspective. I think you have to get right down and acknowledge the, the, the fear, the pain, the hurt, the grief. And um, we have to do that first. We have to join as human beings. We have to bring the compassion hmm. of and the wisdom of that moment with, with, with each other and join there first. We can't just sort of sit up on a cloud and say, yeah, well, you know, this has been going on for some time, you know? And of course, once a war starts, the suffering is unimaginable, isn't it? I mean, you only have to read the records of those who got caught up in the First and Second World Wars. But I think what we human beings can do is explore how can this be prevented? And particularly how, what role wisdom could have? Because I think this is a aspect of the debate that is uh, not commonly uh, in the public domain. So what could we say are the root causes of conflict, which are present in all human beings, you, me, and the rest of the world put together? What you know, I, I got caught, I, 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 a strong thought came to me before you asked that question. Do you mind no. if I just no, go backwards no. a little go bit? <laughs> And I'm sorry that my train of consciousness got stuck on that last station, but uh, it occurs to me, I was uh, going back and forth to New York City quite a bit uh, just after 9-11. Um, and what I noticed uh, is walking down the streets of New York, that people were in a state of shock. They were in a state of dissociation when something so horrific happens, it's bigger than what we can get our minds around. Certainly more than we can make room for in our heart. And I think in order to really, pardon me, in order to really acknowledge the suffering that people have, we have to, we have to be able to be present with that grief. We have to be present with the horror, and I—it's—it's it's hard to do. When I told you I was uncomfortable getting on this call talking about this, I think that's part of it for me. I have a hard time wrapping my mind and heart around the level of horror that exists in war. So now, when we talk about—and to bring it back to your question—what are the roots? Um, I wonder if that's part of it. If we cannot fully grasp the harm that we do, you know, the children that grow up being permanently scarred by this, the loss of life, the grief, etc. 
if we can't wrap our minds around it, it will be harder to, um, it will be easier to excuse or that we can't, we don't, we won't show up and say, you know, I'm mad as hell and I won't take it anymore. We, do, you know, we just sort of numbly let it pass or let it allow it to happen. Or, you know, in terms of human wisdom, can we engage at such a level that we can be present with this horror? Yes. And I think if we could, it would be much harder to allow it to pass. Yes. So what you're saying is, it's easy to take our eye off the suffering because it's painful. But if we actually allow ourselves to fully be with that, then that gives us the energy to do something about it. Right? We can't just say this doesn't affect me. I mean, these guys have their fingers on the nuclear buttons now. <laughs> And anything, you know, there's a miscalculation that could go out of control. So it definitely affects each of us. But I was going to begin by exploring the nature of identity as a way of something that contributes to war. Now, it's something you and I do lightly. I'm Indian, you're American, I'm Russian, you're German. I'm Jewish or Muslim or Hindu, or we have identities linked to Christian, you know, our religion, nationality, and so on, skin color. And we have an allegiance to that. How do you think that contributes in the end to war? Well, the, the low hanging fruit, I think, is simply that our need to survive suggests that we are always looking for consciously unconsciously we are searching our environment for danger we understand our family we understand our tribe perhaps perhaps we believe we understand our our nationalism etc right and and anything outside of that uh becomes a potential danger and i i think if you look at the level of prejudice uh and um, that exists, I think we can say that it exists in all of us, this need for safety and this um, unconscious concern about the other. So uh, that's the low hanging fruit that I see. So in many ways, you see, this whole attachment to our identity is unconscious. And I become, I'm American or Indian or whatever. For example, I mean, put it very simply, would there be any wars if we didn't have a national identity? Would countries ever be able to go to war? I mean, would France and Germany or Germany and England have gone to war if people didn't strongly identify themselves as German or English? And of course, when you have a strong identity attachment, then it allows your emotions to be manipulated by others. I asked a 10-year-old girl who was wearing a hijab in a school, I said that if the head of your religion, I didn't mean it personally, of course, I asked it to all the children, if the head of a religion asks you to do something, and it's your religion, will you do it without questioning or will you, will you, uh, will you question the authority? She said, I'd do it without questioning. I said, why? She said, I've never thought about it. <laughs> 
So just this attachment to our identity, Russian, Ukrainian, Ethiopian, whatever the wars are going on in the world, is one contributor to war. I, I think what I hear you saying is that my, my attachment and my allegiance um, might be threatened by another's, right? If, if I felt that, you know, all the, the kerfuffle that was stirred up, I believe to be falsely stirred up during the last administration of the United States about how dangerous the uh, people from South America or Central America would be to our nationalism. Um, if I believe that, if I believe that uh, a Mexican person coming across the border is going to have a negative impact on my self-interest, that can be riled up in me. Yes. So if I have an allegiance to being Russian, for example, and the president of my country says, Ukraine is a threat, and your security is being threatened, because of my allegiance to that identity, I'm much more likely to believe that and not question it, you see. I think you're also bringing in the concept of self-interest as well, though, right? Yes, yes. The, the, the identity and self-interest are deeply in, entwined in this situation. Yes. So human self-interest, which is present in every human being, all of us, was also... So a microcosm of war is the conflict in our individual relationships, right? But the same factors are present if you magnify them between countries, because after all, they're also led by human beings like you and me, right? Well, it, it hit me when you said that, you know, if we were to get rid of the, the national identity, you know, it would be hard for France to go to war with Germany, for instance. Um, I know that even within my own family, there can be skirmishes. But I think if you look at nature and you look at there's, you know, the, the, the two rams on the mountaintop are budding horns, right? So that's sort of within the family, within the tribe. But there's a place at which one will go and the other will let them go. Like the, the, there's, a, there's a governor upon which, how far will we take this? Yes. And we seem, when we see the other as, you know, um, you know, the cheetah and the lion don't belong to the same <laughs> tribe and they will go farther say with each other than than they uh, would within the same tribe it's a really good point yes so i don't know that we would do away with conflict altogether but would we end up in a world war would we end up with mass genocide that's what i mean uh, yeah i mean you know in the last century we humans killed 200 million of our own <laughs> no other species on our planet does that the seeds of that are in every human being and that's the key thing to understand, that there are all these unconscious drivers in all our minds that lead us to have an, a strong attachment to a, whatever identity it might be. And we have many, a religious and a national and, you know, and so on. Our identities mm -hmm. are multifold. But, um, but, but I think I'm hearing you say that that part of this concept of preventing war or, or shaping or re reducing the, the horror of it all is for us to, to be looking at our own identity 
Yes. And I, and I think that work is being done in all the DEI uh, initiatives, right? Is that we start to uncover our unconscious bias and start to recognize the, the root of that unconscious bias. Other way of looking at identity is that it meets our unconscious emotional needs. Right? Say more. To belong. Mm. Security. Mm -hmm. Not to be lonely. I'm part of this tribe. They're going to look after me. And as you said, um, you know, uh, I, I feel afraid. So I think, ah, my tribe is going to protect me. Of course, it brings I must pleasure. protect my tribe. Yeah, it protect brings pleasure too. You know, my country does well in the Olympics, and I feel as if I've run that hundred meter final and won it. You know, <laughs> even though I'm sitting on a couch, I'm five thousand miles away. It's got nothing to do with me, but I actually feel it's me. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. they meet many of our unconscious emotional needs, and it happens without us realizing. So my question is. Is it possible to let go of our attachment to our different identities, religious, national? Doesn't mean you don't have an identity, it's just that you let go of your attachment to it. I'm stumped on that, Manoj. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Maybe, maybe someone here that's, uh, that's joined us, that's listening, has something to to offer to that one. Reverend, uh, uh, any, any thoughts on this? Donald. Oh, I'm, <clears throat> I, I'm really not sure. What, what, what I am thinking is that, you know, in, in, in the microcosm of our, our different worlds, you know, for, for me, I know that recently I had said to a, to a colleague, you know, here, here's an idea. And, and I had explained something. And when he said, Oh, no, no, I don't think that'll work and, and was trying to draw a line under it. You know, I was saying it's not it's not what you think or what I think that matters, but together let's put let's put ideas into the, the pool and, and look at what's best for the committee, the church, the nation, the world, what, whatever it is. But I, I think we, we do seem you know we, we default to oh no that's not going to work rather than saying let, let's take time to, to unpack what might be for, for the, the the greater good um, and yeah I'm sure all these different identities you know come into play in this because it becomes an us versus them you see suddenly <laughs> you know the Church of Scotland Reverend versus the Church of England or you know whatever other denominations there might be so it really but, stops us from coming together and collaborating as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I heard in, in what you said, Donald, the attachment to our ideas, the attachment mm. to being right, right? Is that uh, <laughs> sometimes that's a, a huge uh, determinant. That, no, I'm not willing to look at it another way than openness. And maybe that gets back to, again, to safety and security. If we if we can control the conversation, we feel safe. This is how it is. Don't don't confuse me with the truth. <laughs> I'm only interested in seeing it my way. Yes. And I think that can come from safety and security as well. But I can just speak personally, if I may, and say that I used to be Indian, Hindu, have all these identities. And I've just let, I haven't let go intentionally, but this journey of understanding yourself and growing and wisdom, automatically those identities fall away. 
And I must tell you that the other side of that is completely liberating <laughs> because then you can meet people as human beings who are just as human beings, irrespective of whatever identity they might have. And you can connect with them with their heart in a way that you couldn't if I was still harboring all those different layers of identity that I had. It's a challenge, but it can be done. It, it can be done, but I think what we're going to hit into is the, uh, even coaching, it's, it's, it's very common. We bring up an ideas like this and, so, and the, the client immediately defaults to how? <laughs> Give me a strategy rather than sitting with it a little bit. And what I love about the human wisdom approach is that it's not so much about answers. It's about questions. Yes. And if we can stay in the question and uh, you know, the, the attachment to the being right that we talked about uh, is in, I need an answer. Can we exist in the question? Can we live in the uncertainty of not knowing long enough that something of deep value shows up? Because to me, it's absolutely clear that if we human beings were able to give up our attachment to our different identities, not the identities themselves, we could put an end to war. Nobody could then say to me, go and kill another human being in the name of your country or religion or whatever it might be. You see? I must tell you something beautiful that I learned from children. I asked them, I said, how can we put an end to war? These are 10 year old children. And we're talking about all this stuff. And they said to realize that we're the same ice cream, just different flavors of it. Chocolate ice cream would never go to war with vanilla ice cream because it was different. But we human beings with our attachment to our identities will go to war with someone who has a different identity. But we don't even see this whole process going on in our thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. That the right hand and the left hand, right? I, I made the example the other day that, you know, a, a kidney cell inside my body sees itself as very different than a liver cell. Mm -hmm. But we don't, they perhaps don't understand the interdependence of it all especially in the world where we have uh, the opportunity to annihilate one another with a push of a button. Yeah. I think we have to understand the interdependence that we are not, that we are the right hand and the left hand. We are different parts of the same. <clears throat> maybe what I'm actually talking about is a, is a new attachment, attachment to all of us being one. And maybe that attachment gets in the way when we have extraterrestrials come to earth. You know, I, I don't know. But there's another way, Tim, it's, which is that if we could use our wisdom to get our own emotional needs met from the inside, you know, by discovering this beauty of life-changing wisdom within, which comes from understanding yourself, then your attachment to your emotion, to your identities could diminish. And then maybe we wouldn't kill another human being just because they had a different skin color or uh, gender or whatever it might be, the difference. But now you're bringing in something important, something different, which is around 
how does conflict spring from unmet needs? You know, what sort of megalomaniacal needs does uh, Mr. Putin have uh, that that would drive him in, in this direction? Um, but you're right. If if we have if we meet our needs, uh, why in the world <laughs> would we go against something that is, <clears throat> you know, I think there's a reason that murder is considered a, a horrific sin in any religion and any moral code yes right it's it's just deeply part of our uh humanity that this is not okay so what could drive us there there's there's got to be a deep something missing that would allow us to transgress that most basic value yes well you know you perhaps hit on it right at the beginning of our conversation which is that we carry the memories of all our hurts. Right? We, and that stokes resentment, anger. And imagine if this has been going on for 30, 40, 50 years because a nation remembers. you know. And so that sense of injustice, if you look around the world at the wars, the people who start them and all that, they have a, they have a feeling of injustice, don't they? That something has happened that was wrong, and they carry the pain of that, which leads to anger. So again, maybe we need to find a way of forgiving mm -hmm. in our own day-to-day -day relationships. And if we could do that, then maybe countries could do that too at a bigger scale. Um, I can't underscore that enough. I think that is, you know, in every part of human development and transformation, there's got to be a way to leave the past behind to, and I, I don't mean to ignore it, please. This is not about um, denying its existence. This is about making peace with what is. Um, and it's, it's what I call completion is, is getting to the place where you can be with um, so that you can, to be free means I have a choice. But if you're bringing the past with you and you're bringing all those resentments with you, you really aren't free to be here in the present. You're in the past. So um, I really want to underscore that. I, I, I love the, uh, I think it's a, the Course in Miracles when they talk about forgiveness. Hmm. Forgiveness is not something you, you bestow upon someone else. Forgiveness in this case is something that you do to get yourself clear with yourself again. So that you can get back to your connection with God, connection with your um, upper nature, however you'd like to describe that. That forgiveness is a way of, of coming back into connection with your humanity and everyone else's humanity. And maybe that's one of the unmet needs, is all those resentments. There are two other hidden drivers in our thinking that contribute to war, that are present in all human beings. The first is our unconscious need for power. It's not just in between countries, it's also in a relationship. Which pizza to order tonight? Which movie shall we go and see? What color should this wall be painted? And you can see the conflict that exists and then the power games that begin and the person who wins gets this little burst of pleasure and the other person carries that resentment, right? We see it in our day-to-day -day lives. Our, our brain is literally wired, you know, 
we when we get rewarded we reinforce the the neurologic process that preceded it right so when we do have a conflict and we are victorious or see ourselves that way it rewards the type of behavior that got us here it's unfortunate it's part of the survival instinct of the human being yes you can see if I have won the argument, the other person carries that resentment, then that builds that cycle of resentment and anger, you know, which can go on and on and on. Uh, and one more thing, which is fear. We all, it's part of being human and it's important to protect us, but fear can also magnify threats or imagine threats where there aren't any content. So we've highlighted some of the stuff. I'm going to do the same thing my clients do with me, unfortunately. It's like, Manoj, how? <laughs> what do we do now that we have this fear? What do we do now that we have this attachment? Yes. You know, in order to, 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 you know, it's one thing to say to people, geez, you know, I think wisdom will play a big role in how, how far we will go. And I, and I agree with you completely. What are, what are some basic things that people can begin to do in their own lives? Yes. To, to deal with this fear and this attachment. So I think that's why we created the Human Wisdom Project, Tim. And that's why we just have, you know, this army of human wisdom coaches around the world to take this understanding to everyone. And that's why we built the Human Wisdom app. So with your permission, I might just have a quick, show everyone a quick tour of what the app has to offer in terms of the issues we've discussed today. Uh, so that anyone who wants to go deeper can take their time and, and do so. Um, sorry. So that's the um, app, but I'm just going to show, do a quick tour and spend less than five minutes doing this. But in terms of, um, by the way, the app just goes top to bottom and, and right to left as the introduction. And this is the, for the people who don't know what they're looking at uh, here, I've, I've used this app, so I know what you're talking about, but this is the human wisdom app that you can put on your phone um, or you can go on the internet to yeah. access it. Yeah. Yeah, just on your computer. So what we're trying to do here is help people go on a journey inwards, which can help them understand themselves and how their minds work. And this gives rise or birth to this inner intelligence or wisdom, which can be life-changing and I think prevent war. So let's just go through it. So um, we've got this get support now videos. The full program begins with nurturing a quiet mind, which is essential so that you're calm and then you can examine what's going on in your own thinking. We know how to look at the world, but not ourselves. So the art of inquiry explores how could we begin to understand ourselves? How do we look within? But the core of the program is exploring how the hidden mind works, yours, mine, every human beings. For example, we're all conditioned. If I'm born in Russia, I'm just say I'm Russian. If I'm born in America, I say I'm American. And then I grow up with all those allegiances and and identities and so on. And if we go to war, then I get my gun and off I go. Um, so we have many different ways in which our minds are the same. Identity, this module here explores 
why we get attached to our identities, whatever it might be, religious, national, and just understanding that allows us to be free. Um, and for example, all our emotional needs that we were talking about. This one here is on fear and anxiety um, and how fear is magnified in our thinking. You know, anger is at the root of so much war, right? Conflict in our daily lives, violence on our streets, and of course, wars in the world. And anger comes from hurt, which is what something most people don't realize. So if we can wield power with wisdom, with justice, we don't then create this animosity, resentment in the world. And as you said, exercising power creates that little kick of pleasure, doesn't it? And I want to repeat that, you know, each time I exercise that power over someone, I feel good. But I don't see 30 years into the future how I'm sowing the seeds for future conflict and war. Um, and then here we have how we can live with wisdom, um, have relationships that are fulfilling, uh, live with peace in ourselves and with each other, uh, communicate well, and so on. But right at the bottom, I'd encourage those on the call today to look at this video called Ending Conflict. And it covers many of the subjects that we've uh, talked about today. Um, okay. So Tim, we've been speaking for about 30 minutes. Um, shall we pause and open it up for our guests and see what people have to say? And that would be really interesting. I, I always feel like if, if you've listened to me this long, then you've probably you know had better things that you could have been doing. Uh, so I'd like to hear from others. Absolutely. Okay. I'm, so I'm curious what others, when we talk like this, I'm curious what other people hear. Yes. So, um, Please feel free, just raise a hand or just get, just start talking, it's fine. Um, Donald, maybe you want to start first. What do you make of what you've just been hearing and how do you think we could end war? Mm. Yeah, fascinating con conversation. And uh, yeah, the important thing is, is not, not just to have a fascinating talk, but, but turn that into action. I, I heard someone recently say that it's really important that when we express our own personal opinions, mm. always just to add the words for me mm. and, and just acknowledge the fact that this is my view. And just in, in some of what I've been hearing today, I, I, had, I had jotted down for me, but also just the importance to, to hear other people's opinions with a for you and, and and maybe allow that to to open up you know as, as I was saying earlier they it's not what you think or what I think but but what collaboratively together we can bring for for a greater good um, and another wee quick point just picking up on that anger comes from from hurt mm -hmm. uh, that the lovely we play on words that hurt people hurt people Yes, that's beautifully put. Yes. Mm. And you can, yeah, you can see all that in operation in terms of the current war in Ukraine and Russia and, you know, all of that. Um, but the seeds of that are in you and me, too. That's the key thing to understand. Mm. So if we can work on ourselves, then we can be the beacons of light for change in a troubled world. Um, 
Okay. Um, and, and who am I to be that beacon? Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of people might say that. Who am I? I mean, I'm just one person. And uh, I think some of my discomfort that I talked about getting on this phone call is also coming from, I don't know what to do to make a difference. I'm frustrated at my powerlessness here. But if I can take this one small thing and say, you know what, I can start being that beacon. That at least it empowers me to at least feel like I'm, I'm part of the solution. You know, our leaders are trapped, aren't they, in their own gilded castles because they have to answer to the newspapers and, you know, all of those things. But I think you and me, ordinary human beings, we are the ones who can light those beacons of, and, and make a difference in the world. I really, truly believe that the world will change when each person begins to change and doesn't expect somebody else to do that for them. <laughs> you know, somebody else is going to make the world better. It's not going to happen. It's going to have to begin uh, with ourselves. Lynn, mm -hmm. would you have anything to add to that? So what I've been thinking is, what do we do with the aspect of this conflict that is really about a power differential? Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody just saying, of course, I'm right. You know, this extreme disconnect, you know, I absolutely understand this, you know, within, without. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about a personality and a, and a personality that's drawing people to them that says, but I'm right, you know, and, 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 it, and it ends up being just this big crushing foot, yes. you know, how do you connect to that? Yes. You know, this, it's just so, the chasm is so great. So yes. I guess I'm posing another question. Yes. What, what I find, oh, sorry. No, please go ahead. Want to... Tim, no, please go ahead. What I, you know, I'm thinking about all the times, Lynn, that, that our pure humanity rises up in a way that um, is a force to be reckoned with. You know, uh, whether it was Gandhi's pass, you know, peaceful resistance, passive resistance, right? Or the, the bloodless um, revolution uh, in Spain or the, um, there are times when, you know, even now we're talking about how uh, in, in, with the conflict in Chechnya, the Russian mothers whose sons went to war and never returned and how they rose up and said, you know, their humanity, their loss of their children became a force that even a strong man couldn't go against. There's a times when our, our just sheer humanity says no. And it and it and it's said with such authority somehow that it gets across. But to answer your question, Lynn, people like, if we can use the names Putin or whatever Hitler, etc., they don't come to power on their own. They come to power because of the groundswell of opinion. The collective nation feels hurt and feels a sense of injustice and feels lost and feels afraid. And so then they give their seed that power to this person who then goes ahead and misuses it. And we've seen that you know, throughout history. So if we can educate each of ourselves 
to question all the time when someone says, hey, do this, follow me, then I think we could be free. We could open, the world could have a different direction. Uh, Tina Marie, do you have some thoughts on this? First of all, thank you, Dr. Merrick and Manoj. This is a wonderful dialogue. I believe it can be done and it can start with one person. It can start with us if we start, as you said, stripping away the identities and getting to the heart of the person. Because when you ask children, they're so simple and direct and concise, it's a simple solution. It's we as adults make it complex. Yes. So if we strip away the identities and go into healing the hurt and being honest, having an open conversation that we know is going to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. and start within say, as Dr. Tim put it so eloquently before, in our own families. Mm -hmm. That's one of the places to start because we have many different perspectives in the families, you know, but we have to strip away. And he just brought up that wonderful point, that massive force with the Ukraine mothers. I saw it happen in New York during 9-11, which was such a diverse community, when the whole world came together, when the towers came down, or any other horrifying injustice to the human person. So it can be done. If that's such a thing as that force comes up, then why can't we do it on an everyday basis? Yes. We have different fractions, even in spirituality and religions. And we see it because it's a diff we wanna be right all the time. Yes. If we strip that away and ask that question, why is it we always have to have that need to be the one in power or the need to be right? So the need to be right comes from our unconscious need for power. Yes. And if we recognize that in ourselves, then it's possible to let it go. And as Donald very beautifully put it, recognizing how can we come together as human beings to collaborate and solve things? But we can only do that once we recognize these drivers in our own thinking that stop us from doing that. Dominic, any perspectives on that? Um, uh, well, a number of them, to be honest. Um, one of the things that kept coming up for me was, was um, I suppose in a, in a way, it, 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 language is very difficult isn't it but in terms of the economic situation and the economic um i suppose belief around the world in in the scarcity versus abundance so as in well if if i have you haven't but if you have then i haven't and we have to maybe look at the, the way the way the world works in terms of that economic circumstance where is there a way where actually the world can be abundant for everyone so their basic needs are met for, for all? And then from that perspective, you know, one of, one of the, it takes away one of the reasons for conflict, I suppose. Um, so that, that thought kept coming up, abundance, scarcity. Because it's about competition, right? Every country thinks it's competing. You know, now it's the great conflict between China and the West, and of course, that will sow the seeds for another war, you know, down the line, 20, 30 years down the line. Well, can I just, I, I just want to add though, as well, and 
this is where the real challenge comes in about particularly about the, the need to be right is rather than us looking at the, the Putins of this world actually the challenge is what have we done wrong what are we doing to cause that yes or what can we do in our own lives to change donald you wanted to say something yeah i was just uh, the, the the marianne williamson quote keeps coming to mind as as we've been talking just about how how we are powerful uh the the quotes um nelson mandela used it and everyone thinks it's from him but our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure it is our light not our darkness that most frightens us we ask ourselves who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're playing small doesn't serve the world. Ah, yes. That's inspiring because to me, I feel, ah, I'm just an ordinary human being, but I can do this. That's what we did. We started the journey with the Human Wisdom Project, you know. We have a big ambition to make the world a better place. And people say, who are you? And I'm saying, actually, I'm just an ordinary human being. And Which is actually the point, isn't it? It's the ordinary human. It's, it's all of us being that ordinary human yes. and recognizing it in ourselves and in each other. Yes. Donald, would you like to contribute and offer something to this conversation? Uh, sure, yes. My feeling is that generally what we see is less influenced by what we're looking at and more where we're looking from. Hmm. Our experience of the world generally is dictated by where we're looking from in ourselves. Put simply, that's our state. Yes. Our, our state in any moment determines where we're looking from how identified we are and we are conscious to the degree that we are relatively unidentified let's put it that way i think it's a it's a continuum rather than black and white you're identified or you're not i think and essentially i see insecurity and fear this way if 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 i thought i'm going to be ridiculous for a second if i thought i was this pen and this pen was in danger of being dropped into a big fire. Let's, let's say, for example. Naturally, I'm terrified. My life as I know it, not my life as it is, but my life as I know it is about to be annihilated, destroyed. But if I know that I'm not this pen, and I, it's a bit, I am stretching this a bit, if I know that I'm not this pen and, it's, and I see that it's about to fall into the fire and it's only a bit of plastic and a bit of ink, I'm not particularly concerned. So what, we're, what I'm trying to say is what we are deeply identified with, we think, we feel that we are. Yes. It's our, by definition, it's our identity. And any threat to that, hmm is a threat to our very existence yes we feel that we feel that a threat to that is uh, carries a risk of our annihilation 
Yes. So that's broadly speaking what I'm offering in response to what you've been talking about. And a couple of, one that, at least one reference was made to Rumi, and I'm going to quote him. I'm going to quote him verbatim because this is really good. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in the grass and the world is too full to talk about. When the world is really full, there is nothing much to talk about. There is nothing much to fight about. There is nothing much to argue about. Yes. It's fundamentally when we're identified, we're, we're insecure about what we identify, what we identify with. And, and uh, Tim earlier on was, talk, was mentioned about, you know, couples and relationships. Well, I, I think I'm only stating the obvious when I say that an outburst or a serious argument, it's never about what it's about. Uh, it, it's, it's what it seems to be about as opposed to what it is about. What it seemed to be about is what triggers a built-up frustration and over a period of time. Frustration leads to anger, which in turn leads to separation, which in turn leads to judgment, which in turn leads to conflict. So that, they're, they're my thoughts off the top Thank of my head. You. Thank you. No, that's very beautifully put. That means it's where you're looking from. So if yeah. you understand your own past conditioning influences and are able to question them, yes. then you can, you can reflect on and live with this deeper inner intelligence, we call it wisdom, um, if you like. But it also brought home one other point, which is to question our own narratives. Because mm -hmm. we repeat them so often that we end up believing them to be true. <laughs> And we never pause to question. So I think one way of living with wisdom and be free of this conflict, which can lead to war, is to be able to question our own narratives. There's something beautiful to what you just uh, uh, alluded to, Donald, that it's our state. And that is both a, that is both a phrase about our uh, psychological being but it's also uh, a state about our neurologic being, right? In brain science, we talk about state. And so the state that we are in will very, will very much uh, color uh, the experience that we have, the perceptions that we produce, the fears that we respond to. And I don't think, Manoj, I've ever really heard you talk much about it, but the, the process of going within asking questions, sitting with the inquiry, all of that not only helps us to reframe our thinking, it also resets the neurologic state of the body. It also shifts the state of the brain. Yes. And at that point, the frontal lobes uh, open up as the fear starts to subside, yes. the vision and the clarity improves. 
so shifting state is vitally important here um and it, it can it, and it can start with the mind or we can start with the brain but it, either way it's important to change it's the same thing yes yes i totally agree and i think for me the key thing here is the deeper we travel inwards the more we understand ourselves the more we realize you and i are the same human being deep down just like our hearts work in the same way, so do our minds, you know. And as you said, Tim, our right hand would never go to war with my left hand. Um, we've got a few more people on the call. I don't want to pick anyone out in case you're not happy to speak, but if you are, and you want to contribute something, please uh, feel free to chip in. Um, I know Ashmeet, Lizanne, and Nick haven't said much, but it's up to you guys if you want to contribute something you're very welcome so tim how would we wind uh well nick just went off mute so i think even though we can't see him uh nick what do you got just a question so i mean i, I think a lot of a lot of the comments boil down to perspective right um what's your attitude towards something and trying to think i mean my mind always goes to what's the practical what's the practical action that we take now especially with with everything that's going on um and i wonder what's the the right balance between uh being detached enough such that we can observe um we can observe ourselves and observe the situation in an objective way mm -hmm. but being attached enough that we actually do something because mm -hmm. today it's russian ukraine and tomorrow it's it's right at home and some of the same trends and influences that we've seen play out in russia in terms of people being manipulated into into being oriented a particular way and that's using um, an understanding of what their pre-existing hurt is um, it's the same playbook that's that's being adopted in the west too so how do we uh how do we stay objective enough, but also be urgent about it? It's my fault. I'm so glad you brought that, Nick. Um, when Manoj asked me to do this uh, talk with him, it was one of the first things I said is like, you know, it, it's easy for me to keep my head up in the clouds. <laughs> it's actually, it's, it's both a strong suit of mine and, and, and a terrible weakness. <laughs> so um, as a good coach, uh, I could just turn around and say to you, Nick, what do you see here? What do you, how do you think that we could do this? Um, of course, it also might be me just uh, deflecting because I don't know the answer. But I think the key thing, Nick, is that the same seeds that are going on in Russia, Ukraine are also here in you, me, the West, in our own countries, in different guises and forms. They have different coats on, but underneath it's the same process and we then allow ourselves to be manipulated based on our unconscious identities which come from our need for security and all the things we don't understand lisanne you had an interesting comment i'd love you to say share what you you had to say would you be willing to do that sure <laughs> hi everyone um i think for me it's love is the connector if we isolate all of these components if we say wisdom will resolve this no love will resolve this no something else 
then that's an attachment to a point of view. But if we can just also step back from that and allow these elements to combine, then we're moving forward. And for me, love keeps me anchored. So there are times where I can look at someone and be the observer and actually see to the core of what the real issue is before they can. So power would tell me, oh, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. I can quote unquote fix it. No, I cannot. I'm not leaning into from a wise place or from a place of love. But if I sit from a place of love and compassion, then I can wait patiently for that person to get where they need to go to ask the question so they can unfold and find it. And for me, love is just another word for me to talk about the source of all unconditional love, love itself, which is divine, right? And so I think if I can allow myself to pepper that in wherever it belongs, then I might be able to make some waves or maybe just a little splash here and there because those ripples extend very far. Well, you're leading straight into a conversation we're about to have on Saturday coming uh, on the Spirituality and Wisdom Forum, which Donald is coming to, I know, where we're gonna explore how can we live with compassion? And you hit the nail on the head, that if we had love, there'd be no war. <laughs> the question is how do I, love, as you said, Tim, that's the big how, right? Right, and I, I don't wanna drop what Nick has said, because I think it's, it's, it's vital. I, I don't have the answers, but it's, it's, there's a pressing push in me. I, I feel I need to do something about what's going on. I can't be with this and be passive, right? There's a sense of that my voice, my money, my influence somehow needs to be brought to bear. Uh, otherwise, am I just allowing the injustice to, to proceed? Um, and I guess I, I'm talking this out, and as I'm talking it out, I'm remembering that there's a sort of a chain of command here. First, before we can have something, we need to do something. But before we can do something, we need to be something. So it's back, perhaps, Donald, to what you were saying about our state and what, where are we, who are we being? Um, I need to start there. I need to start for me, I say, thank you, uh, Reverend, for me, <laughs> I believe I need to stay in that state of love. Uh, thank you, Lizanne. Um, while I do this and not be um, resentful, angry, uh, and judgmental of Russia's leader. But I still don't have an answer. And I wish that someone on this panel could just give me the easy answer. What do I do? Well, if it was easy, then we wouldn't have war. <laughs> but the thing is that this approach empowers each of us to do something right now that can make a difference. And believe me, it can make a difference. See, peace takes years and years to build. Wars are easy, relatively. You know, just get the guns out and start shooting. But peace requires wisdom. Love requires wisdom. Because wisdom allows you to see that you and I are the same human being. From that comes compassion, from where you know you, you get love. So I think we've been talking for an hour. Maybe it's time to just summarize all the things we've spoken about in this call. Of course, there are many other ways to approach the subject. But we've talked about how the groundwork for war is laid decades in advance, to have empathy for those who suffer, to explore our identity and our attachment to it, just to explore it.
for ourselves and see the many different ways in which it plays out in our own life. As Donald said, to see where you're coming from, to be able to question your own narratives and realize that's just my way. As Donald said, there's always other ways of looking at the same, same situation. Then we talked of self-interest, anger, power, fear, all of which are in each of us and which also sow the seeds for war. Tim, would you like to have any comments to summarize before we close? Well, I would just add that all the things you're talking about, all of those issues um, will be impacted, influenced, perhaps softened, perhaps deepened through this art of inquiry into human wisdom. Our ability to, to look inward, to be with, to question um, is, I believe, an essential element to every single one of those questions that you brought. So thank you, Manoj, for producing the Human Wisdom Project. It's not a new idea, but it is an urgent one, and you've given access and voice. And I want to thank you for all the work you've done and encourage all of us to go through the process, ask ourselves the questions, be with the uncertainty, recognize the thing of value. Um, Lisanne said love, uh, and I, 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 I couldn't agree more. That's, that's my life purpose, but there, everyone has their own. And to recognize that we are the same, it's, uh, that's the place to start for me. Well, thank you all very much for coming, and I will share this recording with you, and you may share it with others. Have a good day.